It's so nice to see you this morning. On a personal note, it has been actually a year now since our family started transitioning from our West Island church to Emmaus. And we have come from a challenging few years of ministry, and we just wanted to thank you, Emmaus, for your warmth and kindness and caring during this season of transition with us. It's been a privilege and a blessing to become a part of this congregation, and we want to thank you for welcoming us as warmly as you have. We look forward to worshiping with you in 2023. Your coffee is pretty good, too. <laughs> so Christmas, we've just come through it, and Christmas is probably one of the most non-threatening and approachable times in the church calendar. It's a time when Jesus, in popular culture, seems most separated from his eternal nature. Now granted, angels on high, stars appearing, and so on, but I'm talking about Jesus himself. When you look at Christmas displays, and Christmas murals, paintings, and um, setups, if you will, we only see the baby Jesus. We see a Jesus that is frail, that is vulnerable, that is dependent, and that is unthreatening. Some, and I say some, of our most popular Christmas carols emphasize this frailty. For example, just go through your head for a moment, the song, Away in a Manger. It starts with, away in a manger, not a crib, but a manger. And as someone who has been recruited regularly the night before a Christmas pageant to build a manger, <laughs> I can attest to you that it is one of the easiest props to make. A couple of two-by-twos, a sheet of plywood, and you have a manger. Cribs, however, a whole other story. But anyone can build a manger. He is described as little, sweet, asleep, and when he stirs and wakes up, he doesn't cry. And then there's the vague mention near the end of the song of him looking down, of being near and blessing us, but really nothing beyond what we would say in a secular environment about a relative, for example, looking down on us after they've passed away. And no mention of his teachings, his miracles, his death or his resurrection or his return. And this is why this season of epiphany is so critical to us in our Christian walk. Epiphany and the passages such as those that we read this morning remind us of Christ's full deity, as well as his full humanity, as we're reminded in, as we're reminded by the gospel, or sorry, by the Apostle Paul in the book of Colossians, chapter 2, verse 9, in Christ the fullness of deity resides in bodily form. Our gospel passage in Matthew 3 brings us a recounting of Jesus' baptism, and I'd just like to read it again for you. Thank you, Eric, or sorry, um, who had read it the first time, sorry? Ellen, okay, sorry, thank you for reading it the first time. 
and uh, we're going to just read it again. Then Jesus came from, ja from Galilee to the Jordan, sorry, to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented it saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. I find this passage puzzling in several ways. Why would Jesus by foot travel from Galilee to the Jordan River, a distance of about 100 kilometers, or in other words, from here to Cornwall? Why would Jesus specifically speak out John an eccentric distant cousin known for his simple attire and unusual diet of locusts and honey? Why would Jesus seek out John's baptism of repentance when to our understanding he had nothing to repent for? And I'm sure anyone watching these events in the first century would have had these and other questions as well. At the time of Matthew chapter three, the symbolism of John's baptism in the Jordan River wouldn't have been lost on those watching on the riverbanks. The old life, new life calling in John's baptism would have brought people back to two events of enormous significance. To Moses leading the Israelites from their old life of slavery into Egypt, in Egypt, through the parting of the Red Sea to the freedom on the other side under God's leading, the pillar of smoke in the morning and the pillar of fire at night, or to Joshua leading Israel 40 years later across the Jordan River into their new life in the promised land. And to those versed in, in the Torah, they would have known of the ceremonial washings the Levite priests would have had to undergo before and after performing their duties in the temple. But what makes John's baptism so interesting is that he also pointed to something or someone that would supersede him in his own ministry. As John says earlier to the Pharisees and Sadducees watching him in this book, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Doesn't exactly sound like the away in a manger Jesus, does it? Yes, John's baptism of repentance no doubt led many to confessions of sin and changed lives dedicated to holy living. And we know from Acts 18 and Acts 19 
that this baptism of repentance continued for some time at, among John's adherents. But John the Baptist's ministry was also intended to reveal the Messiah to Israel. To quote him out of the account of John 1, when Jesus came into view, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. For some time, it seems, John had been telling anyone who could hear him that it would be through his baptism ministry that the Messiah would be revealed. God the Father from the beginning of time laid out a chain of events leading to Jesus's unveiling through John. God the Holy Spirit prompting and moving Jesus to take this trek and accept this baptism. And God the Son responding to the Spirit's prompting and submitting himself to baptism by John so that he can be revealed as John had promised and said so many times before. This Father, Son, Holy Spirit come together as Jesus is lifted out of the water. The Spirit rests on Jesus like a dove, and the Father speaks of him, Jesus, being his Son, in whom he is well pleased. The Trinity revealed and Christ's earthly ministry started. Jesus's ministry would surpass John's, a surpassing John had honestly hoped for. John was waiting for the one who is to come. And as it says in Luke 7, I don't think he was disappointed with the answer. While John's ministry did bring about confessions, this new ministry would bring about the complete forgiveness of sin. While John's ministry was through water, this new ministry would be through the Spirit. While John's ministry had an obvious following, this new ministry would spread to the four corners of the earth. And so in this season of Epiphany, this season of after Christmas, Let's remember that the Christ we worship is much more than a baby in a manger. He is the word of God made flesh. He is the one on whom the spirit rested. He is the one in whom God the Father was and is well pleased. He is the Messiah spoken of throughout the Old Testament. And he is the savior John the Baptist waited anxiously for on the banks of the Jordan River. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the season of Epiphany. A season when we can accept and revel in the fact that we have a savior, God's word made flesh fully man and fully God. And Lord, during this season, may we reflect on that daily and that the savior we worship not rest in a manger, but that lion, that lamb that we sung of earlier. We thank you for this time together. 
in this time of worship. In Christ's holy, precious name we pray. Amen.